Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disturb podcast. My name is Nejda Tsadryan. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. Our guest this week is Christian Posse, the vice president of data and AI at Service Titan. He joins us to discuss his long career in the world of data science and how data practices inform decisions and influence product development at the world's largest companies. We also spoke about how startups should best utilize the generative AI technologies that have been released over the last few years and how Service Titan has been building them into their products. Thank you for listening. Christian, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with a little bit of your background. Uh, I know you have quite a storied uh, career. You've worked at some really interesting places. Tell us how you got started in the world of data science. Uh, very young, actually. Um, I got interested in, in actually data early on. Uh, as I explain often, is I'm a kind of a control freak. I hate being manipulated. And early on, I realized that essentially, you know, with the same data, people could say white or black. And so for me, there was an element of, uh, if I don't want to be manipulated, I need to understand data. So that was the first motivation. The second motivation later came uh, realizing that, you know, we live in a world right now which is driven by data. Every single field has data. When did you come to that realization? Uh, I would say when I started to work, uh, uh, you you know, uh, coming out of the the university and the project, and when I started to work uh, uh, in my first startups, I could apply my techniques to any field. And that's really, that's really that was a, a, a way for me to fund what I wanted to do, which is essentially be the platform out of my PhD work. Um, I could not fund the platform itself. The way I funded the development of the platform was f- uh, funding through solving applications that just by accident needed the platform development. Mm-hmm. So this is what I call it, something that we apply actually in modern ways in, in, in companies, even like Service Titan, where I'm developing you know, an ML platform, an AI platform, a data platform. You don't sell a platform, you sell a development of a platform on how they affect essentially your customers. So the applications that you built on top of it. But so early on, what I realized is I could apply, you know, my techniques in all kinds of fields that I didn't know about. And uh, I applied that uh, you know, in field that I never knew I would learn around uh, like, a, you know, early um, psychology, how infant, you know, less than nine months develop. There are studies which are being done, but then you have to analyze its data. So for me, it was uh, developing the data technique, but in the same time, learning about the field of psychology of babies. I had no idea. I worked, you know, in uh, omics science, all of the, you know, the system biology is a very complex system. I work in climatology, in uh, homeland security, in social networks before they were, you know, uh, fab and something, you know, fun to do. Um, and so what I realized is pretty much every field, if you really want to understand and and uh, uh, start uh, optimizing, uh, start with data. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was, uh, that's still thread in my career. When you look at my LinkedIn profile, you will say, You've been all over the place, but there's a still thread. And the still thread is every time I jump into a field that I have no idea what the field is about, I bring my data expertise. So I will learn about the data, of course, and I can know how to use the data, but at the same time, I'm going to learn a completely new field. So I'm an eternal student. And so really that's the, the, the thing for me, which is fascinating. And I think that, you know, the future is even more data driven maybe too much. So the ability to comprehend data kind of gives you the ability to enter any field with the with the capability to understand it, I guess. Yes. And, and, and another aspect that I think that a lot of the AI that you're seeing nowadays tend to 
uh, kind of a diminishes uh, understanding data is one thing. You know, uh, one of the aspects of uh, deep learning and AI, uh, there is a kind of a, what I've observed is a less appreciation for what data truly are and the more, oh, it's just a bunch of things that you feed into a system that creates some magic and there will be an output and it's marvelous. It's not the case, you know, understanding the data, getting acquainted with the data, data is your frenemy. There are good things in data, there can be bad things in data. Are they really representative? Uh, what are the biases? What are the, the, the errors in measurements? Um, what are the bad stuff? Or what are the things that you should be concerned about? You know, mm -hmm. like uh, does the data encode the prejudice, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, or things which are, you know, very human. Okay. And I'm not saying that in a positive way. So that you need to understand your data. It's super important. But I, my fear a little bit is in this world of uh, democratized AI, we just kind of uh, discount now the, the, the data preparation, the data acquisitions, the loving the data. We just take that, it's so easy. You feed into a generative AI, open AI API, and uh, you, you think magic is being created, but that's, uh, that's actually what concerns me the most with the current development of AI. It's not the technology, it's the way we use them. So that, that's a really interesting point. So the way most people are integrating AI applications or AI technology into their applications is just by going straight to an API, as, as you said, that's offered by OpenAI and its competitors. That kind of skips the preparing the model part, uh, feeding it the data, training it. What do you think needs to be done in order to mitigate that in the age where most people who integrate AI won't be building their own models because it's just far too um, expensive and uh, not really possible for most companies? Do you think there needs to be sort of an architecture layer that um, that helps companies to mitigate some of those concerns that you're talking about, like other tooling yes. that sits on top of OpenAI? Yes, um, because, you know, if I use an extreme expressions and, and that you've heard, which is the... Uh, nowadays, I think that a lot of us are essentially like the sorcerer apprentice. Hmm. We are essentially building castle on top of quicksands because we don't really know uh, that technology which is under us. You know, in the early days, the models were simple. So you could really understand their strength and their limitation, their bias. You talk, you know, in the old days of uh, ML, you talk about uh, variance and bias, something very simple that you can explain, that you can control. But nowadays we have this black box that, you know, which is fascinating, nobody really understand. Those large language models, we don't really know when they start having these emerging patterns that has to work. Nobody knows when you create these prompts. You never know how efficient your prompt or how resilient your prompt is. So, so there's a, this whole culture of, uh, of building prompt uh, and, and being comfortable with, uh, with that. It's, it's something which is very difficult. So there's a whole aspect of a, I would say validation that needs to be put in place much better than what you're seeing today. An element of uh, uh, ethical uh, AI as well. You need to remove all of the biases. Remember, the LLMs, are learning the knowledge of the world. Mm -hmm. That means human knowledge. And if we all know about humans, we are everything except objective. So those models encompass the good and the worst of humanity. And they just give that back with efficiency. Man. And so in that regard is whatever you built, because now we have even less control on, on, on those models, but also less control on the data that we're giving because now it's so easy. You can download the web and send the web. We, we don't even know what we're sending sometimes. Mm -hmm. Just send it. That 
we need to have much more and I think a higher hand on, on, on those providers of the system uh, in terms of um, validation. Hmm. So are you optimistic that techniques like grounding or um, augmenting models so that they can retrieve data from specific sources, the administrator of that uh, API is... Uh, providing it are good enough to mitigate some of these concerns? or It's a different problem. So, so grounding essentially is saying, okay, you know, you have this uh, knowledge of the world encoding in the LLMs, but essentially the problem is like, a, you know, like, like everything. It's great at doing what's popular, but as soon as you want to go in what I call the long tail, so, so your specific problem, and we'll talk about service Thailand. If you think about service Thailand, we are specific to the trades. It's a very specific niche CRM market. Suddenly that knowledge that you're seeing, you know, uh, uh, you read in the newspaper, uh, suddenly it kind of erodes. It's not as great and you can realize that uh, the LLMs kind of cost a, a struggle with really being efficient and answering these questions. So, so the problem is more about that you need to augment these models with that specific knowledge. And so with grounding, you bring your own specific knowledge and you're trying to coerce the, the, the larger models with uh, uh, essentially that additional knowledge coming from your own field. Mm -hmm. But is, does that answer, let's say, does that uh, address the other problem about uh, uh, what we call hallucination? Does right. that address the problem about uh, uh, being uh, more factual? Not really. It biases, you know, it kind of shrinks that knowledge more towards your own domain. Right. Um, so it brings some grounding in that regard because it's not going to barf some kind of a random mm -hmm. 42 meaning of life into a question that you ask. But uh, still, you have a chance that actually uh, the facts that he's representing are totally wrong. And the data that you're grounding it with could also be have your biases in it, right? Oh, or, totally, totally, yeah. yes. And then, um, exactly. So, so that it's, 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 let's say, it's a good step in a way of biasing towards that. Uh, but that does not solve everything. Right, right. I think there's some really interesting and exciting opportunities around building the tooling and that architecture yes. that sits around the LLM, LLM for, for that. Before we get to Service Titan, you've worked at some of the top tech companies in the world. I'm curious, and over the, the last couple of decades, I guess you could say, I'm curious when the realization of the value of data became so apparent to these companies. Um, was it always there from the beginning or was there a bit of an aha moment 15 years ago or 20 years ago? So all companies are different because it depends on the purpose that they have. If you think about it, as many companies, they start by building essentially the, the table stake. So, so they, they, they put in place the, the processes, they maybe do some automation. Um, and so maybe the data acquisition is not necessarily the first thought. It's building a software that will help, you know, uh, customers. And when you're in the CRM space, you, know, you have multiple customers. And so what you're trying to do is, you know, streamline the process, automate the process, digitize the process, and you're thinking that way. But in order to do so, you also get your customer data. And so there's this realization at some point that if you stay at what I call the plumbing layer on the process layer, you're going to be outpaced. You need to look into what is the added value on top of that. And so then you realize that this data that you're collecting from the customers, that's the real gold. Nobody else has that data. Mm -hmm. Everybody can use the open API. Everybody mm -hmm. can use that. Nobody can use the API and ground it into your own data. So, so, so then you realize that uh, every company that have this ability to acquire data and at scale, for example, a service Titan or you know, Salesforce before or LinkedIn, name those companies or Google, of course. Then suddenly your data is its vault that you can you can really build 
sustainable differentiation in your product. Mm -hmm. You can create a real differentiation. You can create something that even the competition cannot. You know, if you just build a model of OpenAI, I'm sure there will be competitors and you see already other competitors and there are already other solutions which says, you know, we are killing the transformers, you know, like the, the RedNet and others. So if you stay at that level, you don't have essentially what I call a sustainable differentiation. Your data, it's your vault. Nobody can have them. So you can develop insights, recommendations, knowledge that just others can't. Mm -hmm. It's nowhere encoded. But w when did the companies realize that? Uh, oh, my goodness. I don't think there's a, I, I, I don't think there's a system. It's, a, it's a definitively, uh, I, and I work at several of those companies. You know, actually one that I worked uh, for a short time. Uh, unfortunately, there was a great company, but there was a restructuration. But they were essentially another plumbing company. Essentially, they were dealing with all of the financial transactions, the wired transactions. And the number of transactions that happens every single day between those banks is larger than the web by order of magnitudes. And what they were doing for years was just being that plumbing layers. And, you know, somebody at some point, again, it's a bit by accident, realized that we have a lot of data there. Mm -hmm. So we can start building things like, for example, credit check early on, because our data tells us that we can really identify somebody which is going to defraud when they do a credit card application. We can do all kinds of things like that. And so I don't think there is a moment you, you maybe some companies have that goal, you know, uh, like the Teslas of the world. We start by building a car which is very expensive, mm -hmm. make and fund the, the cheaper car that will that will <laughs> fund the cheapest car. And, and so you, you, some companies have, but very often it's more the opposite. You try to solve a problem, mm -hmm. which is at, at that plumbing process layer I described. In the process, you're being successful, you're acquiring data, and then you realize that you have that. And that is, uh, I would say, I don't know what it happens. And actually, it's very interesting because for Service Titan, actually, I have a close connection with our CTO. And when he joined Service Titan, which is before me, he was talking about all of this software that, uh, you know, the, this operating system uh, for the trades that Service Titan is building. And it was fascinating. But he said, but we're not really doing data. But six months later, he calls me and said, it's all about data. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, there, there's a moment where that realization happens, but I haven't found that as a systematic, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. step. I love to see in like the history of the the Googles of the world when they that light bulb went off, because uh, I think may, maybe it's possible to imagine that at the on on day one it wasn't there, but uh, certainly by like the early two thousands when. Uh, the advertising products and stuff were built into Google. They must have really seen the, the value that data captures. Right? So let's talk about Google. So if you remember before Facebook, the motto of Google was, you come on Google, you search, and you're out. It's a matter of in and out, in a matter of seconds. You come here, you search, we give you the right, we want you out of Google. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the model for years. Then you get uh, Facebook. And Facebook, you go on Facebook, you spend, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you have session stickiness. Oh boy, how much do you know about your, 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 your customers when you spend? It became a revolution at, at, at Google that was, we need to change entirely our model. Instead of this in and out, we need to develop sticky session. When you come on Google, we want you to stay on Google. And you have seen some of this change. Remember, we went from this 10 blue link to immersive type of experience where you get, you know, a, 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 a kind of a interactive type of results and actually you click there and you stay, you never leave Google. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to create stickiness. Why? Because you know much better your customer this way because you can track, of course, everything you know. In all of these companies, you sneeze, it's logged, they know right. it. Mm 
Right. And so that aspect is a, a suddenly the, the motto change entirely. So even a company like I would say you know, Google, which is really a top front of the data, uh, actually did not realize early on this notion of uh, stickiness. Facebook brought that. Until the uh, competition nudged them to, yes. to think about it. Yeah. There's so many interesting topics we can go into there, but m maybe we'll come back to it. Um, uh, let's speak a little bit about Service Titan. So you're the first guest from Service Titan on the podcast. Ooh. And Service Titan, I think, to most Armenian uh, tech audiences, is uh, most people are very, very familiar with it. But just quickly, b before we dive into your role and some of the products you guys are building, tell us what Service Titan is. So Service Titan essentially is trying to build the operating system for the trades, explaining the, the trades, essentially, those are these constructors which are really good at their craft. You know, they are plumbers, electricians, they are uh, AC installers, and, and they really do a, a great job at that. The problem is to make the business live and thrive, it's way more complicated. So how essentially you do your lead generation, so you know, your marketing, your acquisitions, how you manage your, your presence online. Um, how do you make sure that when somebody calls, you can book the person and you can book the person with you know, an efficient technician? How do you optimize your technicians? Um, how do you do the whole payroll and pay and inventory and supply chain? And I can go on and on. And, you know, I've been there for a year and a half. I still don't get the complexity. Mm. And it's, it's really mind-blowing to realize how complex it is to just manage, you know, a shop, even a residential shop uh, in the trades. And the trades have been historically without any software. Mm -hmm. It was not interesting for most companies to develop a software. So what's fascinating about Service Titan, so, so the two founders uh, are sons, you know, of immigrants from Armenia that actually were in the trades. And uh, what they decided to do is essentially uh, they, they did their schools, they went to the best schools in the US and were ready to go for the, the big companies. And one summer they, they decided to, why don't we have our uh, help our parents? Because what they observed is you spend a small amount of time in the trades, which is really where you excel, and you spend so much time just driving the business and people struggle. Many of these, you know, mom and dad shop, they don't have a life. Right. Because right. it's all spent there. Or they cannot expand because they, they don't know how. It's all on paper and, and, and little know-how, very smart know-how, but it's not uh, efficiently encoded. So they decided to build a, you know, a software on, on the summertime to help their parents. Mm -hmm. And 10 years later, you have this unique solution. Yeah. And the idea is really to build, to, 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 to help the contractor thrive. But what I love about that, and you will see which is phenomenal, it's not just about making more money. People have different goals. And I was telling you, uh, some of the contractors, the only thing they want is essentially give my life back. Mm -hmm. I want life with my family. Right. I don't want to make more money. I'm happy, but I want, I want to see him grow my, my little kids. And by the way, that touches me because there's a point in my life where I was traveling so much that I missed a year of my three-year-old. So not seeing my family was you know, really bad for me. And I appreciate that when you, when you do that every day because it's the only way to survive your business. So we are not encouraging, just make more money. It's if, if we can streamline all of the processes for you to give back, right. you know, time. But if you want to make more money, we can also help you. It's up and, to you. And, and everything we do is really measure in those metrics. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, one of our motto is changing life. And you think it's pompous, it's not. The testimony that we have and we hear over and over, we are changing lives. So Service Thailand is really building this operating system to help the, tr the trades thrive mm -hmm. in different ways that they want. So it's definitely right. what I call a, a very high purpose mission. Mm -hmm. You know, the, uh, when you hear the story, and I think the people coming to Service Thailand is because they realize that the, uh, it's not just a software company. Y you are impacting 
in in lives right people's and um as you mentioned earlier uh servicein was founded by armenian immigrants uh in california and i believe now it's almost five years that the office uh that you, you guys have an office in armenia as well um and a lot of the engineering and r d work is, is done here in the country including the data science team which which you lead so you're the vp of ai and data science at service titan yes um tell us about some of the ai products that you guys are building into the platform now so so we have to just about how we think about ai you know we're not thinking about ai in the sense oh it has to be ai mm -hmm. we're trying to solve problems and it depends that sometimes you need some ai so it's more identifying hey what are you trying to do and uh, for example, there's, you know, we have some piece of our software which are phenomenal, but the onboarding process is very complicated because the, the, our customer has to input a lot of uh, customized data into the system so that we can understand and start working. So for example, uh, one way you would think about the problem is what if we could automate that onboarding process so that they don't have to go there and start, you know, importing all of the data and start defining all, all of these services that they want to have in their, in, in their um, you know, processes? Let's automate. So sometimes automation does not require AI. But in that case, for example, yes, we will automate uh, the entire onboarding of a customer. And by the way, we'll do recommendations of the shelf right away. Those are, for example, you should define those type of services because those are the ones that we're seeing the most being used by all of the, the trades so that you, you, you come there and you're already ready for business the next day. Mm -hmm. So that it's more about thinking about it. I will give you another example where you need AI, but you don't think AI. So uh, another thing which is phenomenal about Service Titan, it says, you know, born in the trades. And really, uh, it's built for the trades and born in the trades. Several of our, you know, uh, employees are actually contractors. Mm -hmm. They have a business on the side and they use Service Titan. So believe me, dog food, we said that we eat our own dog food. You know, we, we hear a lot about the, 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 the feedback directly from our own employees. Mm -hmm. They have a business. So they know the trades really well. They know all of the, the dynamics within the business. And so there is one, for example, which is a business, a, a, a job always start with a phone call. I have a plumbing problem, so I'm calling you. And there will be a conversation between the customer service representative and, and the person. It, hopefully, if there is here a job, it should be converted into, you know, a, a, a booking. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily. The problem is that, the, on the other hand of the phone, the, the, the CSR, the customer uh, support representative, you know, is rated. He has a performance mm -hmm. to be paid. And his performance is based on his booking rate. Mm -hmm. How many calls is he able to transfer into, because it's revenue, booking. Mm -hmm. So there's a tendency of, at the end of the call, they have to rate, oh, was that a, you know, a, a lead? A lead means something that can be tra uh, transferred into a, uh, a, a job. Was it a lead or not? And so sometimes they would tell you that was not a lead because it did not end up, you know, being a book job. So what we do, we said, we know that there's gaming there, that actually to keep their rate high, they may be misclassifying from time to time a call. Mm -hmm. It's missed opportunity, it's missed revenue, for the contractor. So we said, what if we could do the following? At the end of the call, what if we could analyze in real time the call? The transcript of the call? Transcript of the call and uh, determine that actually there was a real job there and you should call back right away. Oh, wow. It's called second chance lead, second chance lead. We do that. So now you think about it. How do you do that? Well, you have a transcript, you need to have AI, you need to build a classifier mm -hmm. or an intent classifier, determine that this is the case. But go further, you will see how we think about AI. So now I'm able to identify the second chance lead. So what do I do? 
well, I can go into you know, some kind of a tab and show you all of these signatures things which are piling and piling and piling. And you call the, man the manager says, oh, wow, I have all of these signatures lead. So now I need to listen to the call before I call back to know what happened. The context. Yeah. How long is the conversation? Six, eight minutes? Do you think they are going to do that with a ton of a signatures lead? What if you said, I can build a summary Right. Very short, one sentence that tells you everything you need to know so that you can make the call. Mm. So you said, I'm going to reduce my six to eight minutes to 15 seconds and make the call. You don't think you need AI. It's called a summarization. And, you know, in the, in the days it would be complicated. Now you have Gen AI. You take the transcript, you put that into Gen AI, you give a couple of reasons to make the summary very efficient because you, you want to control the summarization. Okay, I'm pushing five minute job, right? Right, right. But we reduce this eight minutes to 15 seconds. Yeah. And by the way, that's we, what we have released this year. And I can go on and on. By the way, I go further because now I can tell you about what if I can tell you which of these calls you should really pay attention. Mm -hmm. Again, it will use a different type of AI. So the question is, you think about this process, about how you help. If you need AI, we will use AI. If you don't mm -hmm. need AI, we don't use AI. Does it make sense? That's really how yeah. we think about it. And so everywhere in the product, from automation to assistance, Uh, to insights, uh, we embed AI. So what, what I love about my role is really I, I interact with every single team at Service Titan, mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, be, because, you know, everywhere there is a problem eventually that you can solve with AI. Can you give me a problem of a, a feature or a product that you guys were looking at building using AI that at the end of the day you decided it's not actually adding some some tangible value? Too early for that. Because, <laughs> no, I'm not joking. Seriously, we, 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 I haven't won right now because, again, the thing is really, the way we think about it is, you know, small organizations, so we are very crisp mm -hmm. about where we put. So we invest, we, we really invest, we investigate, um, and we determine what is the ROI. So we're not just trying because it's cool, you know, and it doesn't pan. We really uh, go from a, there is a problem there, what's the opportunity, mm -hmm. what's the ROI, and then we go after and, and, and do this implementation. So not saying that it won't happen, but really uh, there's no randomness uh, right. uh, in what we're doing. So, so it really, because, and again, I can tell you that uh, we just went through our planning for next year. We have hundreds of ideas that look like that, all of them with a real ROI, and we're going to pick the top ones and we know already what impact they have. How do you filter that? How do you assign an impact score to a feature? So you try to estimate, uh, you know, in different, uh, what is what you're trying to do. If it's uh, you know, an increase in revenue, it's like, for example, what I was telling you about the, the that feature that we released recently about this second chance lead. So there was an expectation to say, you know, based on what we are saying, maybe, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing a random number there, mm -hmm. just I don't want to give you a number. Let's say there's a missed opportunity of 10% of your calls. So if 10%, you know, uh, we can recover, that's 10% on top of your revenue. Mm -hmm directly marked and that was conservative i guess that's a interesting framework as well for um thinking about new products that can be built and startups that can be launched around this technology right if you have a good idea of who your user user persona is who you're building for and you're obsessed about solving some tangible problem for them uh, all that matters is whether or not you solve that that problem right because yeah, a lot of times these conversations stray into and I, i've like found myself sort of captured by this as well swayed into areas of whether or not this is defensible, whether or not somebody can copy the same thing tomorrow. 
But at the end of the day, if it's something that just adds genuine value into that person's workflow or, or life, then that's all that's needed. So, so yeah, for example, there's a couple of things. Uh, it's all about added value to the customer. So, so it's not about... Uh, IP. It's, uh, yeah, in the sense that uh, yeah, we can protect, but at the end of the day, is uh, uh, you create a product which has, you know, actually uh, often a great retention because those features are so unique. Um, um, the other things are also about, remember what I was telling you, the fact of uh, trying to reproduce what you're doing, it's hard while, because like all of these companies, um, we have the data that nobody else has. In the early days, academia was doing the research and uh, industry was always behind. And uh, you always said, you know, 20 years earlier, you would say, the forefront of the research really is in universities and uh, maybe uh, you know five years from now there will be some implementations in industry that changed entirely with the, the internet mm -hmm. to the point that actually universities uh, for many years struggled to stay on top of the research because they just did not have the data but then after the problem is all of these techniques developed by those companies and you know them the fang and the others were hardly reproducible when you publish paper because you didn't have the data. Mm -hmm. And so there's been some kind of a truce made right now because you could not go on. But again, it's a totally um, unbalanced world. Once you have the data, it's very hard to reproduce. Right. I'm curious, um, for the feature that you mentioned earlier about uh, analyzing the transcripts of mm -hmm. calls and identifying whether or not it's a real lead that might convert into a, a sale, were you guys also relying on data that you had about what conversations turned into leads? Yes. To Okay, so your own historical data. And, and plus also, uh, you know, one thing that people don't like to talk about, but uh, subject matter experts. I do right. believe also in subject matter. So okay. we have, and since we have plenty of subject matter experts, so we also not only take our data and, you know, you have all of telemetry in place, so you know if a call ended up being booked or not. So you have the usual type of data, the funnel data, but also you talk to subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. And so so we also uh, uh, use subject matter experts to reaffirm or confirm or sometimes capture that the data is not telling you. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Titan Intelligence. What is Titan Intelligence? So Titan Intelligence, essentially, it's uh, it's our initiatives for bringing AI. So I was telling you uh, earlier, CyberSignal was more building the operating system of the trades and similarly to Microsoft, so mm -hmm. think about Windows and with the turn of the generative AI, you know, Windows is all about now their assistant, right? They mm -hmm. talk about the assistant. Well, Thailand Intelligence is uh, essentially, um, it's kind of the initiative for bringing AI to the trades. It's not a specific product, essentially, uh, the way it's being materialized, it's, it's my organization. So we have a very unique structure. You're familiar, you know, with most of the companies that tend to have a product and a engineering mm -hmm. uh, pillar. At Service Talent, we have uh, three pillars. We have a product, engineering, and data organization. Mm -hmm. And so it's really that to, to summon this aspect that we want now to leverage the data that we have, you know, as an initiative, uh, and we will partner with engineering and product to embed AI into the trades. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is also that uh, we want to bring AI to the trades without the trades uh, having to go to school and get a PhD in data science. Right. How it's going to be translated, we talked a bit earlier, but another aspect is, the features become intuitive, they become powerful. Uh, and so that aspect, uh, uh, that's why this third pillar was created. It's a full house. So there is product managers and there are data product managers, data science, uh, ML engineers, data engineers. So let's talk about for one second about the data PM. The data PM is slightly different from a traditional PM. It's a breed between a product manager 
and a data scientist. It's somebody that understands very well what data can do or cannot do, and also interface with the traditional product managers to help about how you're going, what's going to be the user experience of the AI in the product. Mm-hmm. And so they work in tandem in sense of reinforcing each other. The product manager has wants to develop essentially these solutions. The data PM will help on how data can help and be embedded into the product. Mm. Okay. Does that also include providing actionable data insights to your end users? Uh, so we do. Yes. Essentially, like, think about uh, uh, AI. For, it's a big term. Essentially, for us, it's it's bringing uh, all kinds of things. So from automation to uh, recommendations or to do uh, insights. Absolutely, um, insights that help them essentially kind of uh, you know at the end of the day uh, take action on that to to get better. As someone with a lot of product experience, how do you build that for someone as like you said isn't going to go get a a data science PhD. How do you make those those analytics, those metrics that you're presenting that can often look very technical, be um, really easily comprehensible by someone who doesn't have a data background, like people in who are you know running their their businesses. So, so, so we we never talk math. Mm-hmm. We never talk AI. You talk business. So right. So when you talk about uh, you don't building insights, you will talk about what are the metrics. That, the, that particular industry cater. So, you know, if you are in a trade, things like uh, average ticket. Right. Uh, you know, so so the metrics and the report you're going to, to produce are really talking directly to them in their own language. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to produce some kind of mathematical formula for which you need to have, you know, uh, a big introductions on how to use, you know, we, we are chameleons. And by the way, you know, one of the things I was telling earlier, yes, I've been in poorly different type of industries. Every time for me, the question is, what language do I need to learn? The language of the trade, you know, the language of um, um, biology, the biology, it's really translating into that. Mm -hmm. And so, by the way, uh, which is an interesting problem, you know, when I develop, um, we start from scratch, a new AI solution. Um, So the typical type of uh, modeling, as you know, will focus on what we call precision and recall and these type of metrics. That's great for building your initial model offline. But rapidly, as you go online, your metrics is all based on what were you trying to do mm-hmm. and how you translate that into an engagement. Mm-hmm. And so building that, your know, metrics become rapidly, uh, oh, the customer is engaging, the customer is doing these actions, these are the right actions, or the customer is not engaging at all. What have we done wrong? Or we did these things to simplify the process, but actually they are still doing all of these things that they were not supposed to, that we are supposed to solve. So you look at the complexity measure. Mm-hmm. So they never, uh, and, and the report that I said, we will talk about, hey, if you do that, you're going to increase uh, your uh, uh, um, probability of landing a job. If you do that, you're going to get much better leads. If you do that, you're going to improve your average ticket. Right. So you always talk that language, never the math language. Right. You translate data science into exactly. that domain. Right? Great answer. I learned recently uh, by some of your colleagues that most of Service Titan's data science team uh, is based in Armenia and it was sort of built here from yes. the ground up. Tell us a little bit, a bit about um, about how that came about. Why did, why did you decide to build it here when you guys have teams uh, in different parts of the world? So one of the things was, uh, oh, there's multiple reasons, but the, uh, 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 one was essentially, so, so one of the reasons why the, the office in Armenia was created, there is a talent pool here, which is, uh, you know, enormous in Armenia, historically has always been a sign, the, the, the tech center, and I learned that yesterday also during the Soviet Union, and, and, uh, 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 and uh, still to this day, there is a, there is a talent here. 
which is you know really great and and uh, uh, it's much also it, it's um, it's easier like for example also like for example in the United States because in the United States it's a very very uh, challenging environment in a sense um, uh, hiring is very difficult in the US there's also a, a, I would say which is interesting there's also less of a commitment in some ways it's very easy to change job you know, it's like you change shirt. Um, and so the, the notion was we have in Armenia here, uh, you know, a talent which is which is really great. Also, we can provide uh, opportunities for mm-hmm. the community which is being, you know, formed here. So for us also giving back to the community is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only we getting, you know, data scientists, ML engineers and, uh, and data engineers within Service Thailand, for us is also to try to, uh, to give back in the sense of how can we help also universities elevate the data science uh, with the American uh, with the American perspective. Mm-hmm. And you guys have active uh, internship programs with so, the so Yes. So the, the, the also the reason, uh, so Armenia also, with, uh, because I, I really love the, the level of education. I also, by the way, I also love the, the entrepreneurial spirit that you find even in those young data scientists. And for mm-hmm. being a data scientist, you need to be, you know, a little bit of an entrepreneur, a little bit of a product manager, a little bit of a startup. You need to be able to pivot. Um, and that goes really well with the Armenian mentality. Seriously, mm. it, I'm having zero difficulty, you know, explaining my, my views of the world and data science in Armenia. I really love that. Um, and so between the educations, between the flexibility, between the, the, the yes, this aspect that I called, um, I call that data judiciary. I will explain one day. Every day there are problems. Every day stones are being thrown at you. You never attack a problem directly. You turn the, th- the stone thrown at you, you know, into an opportunity. It's called jujitsu. That's exactly what we have in data. Hmm. Every day we have problems in data. So you need a spirit. You need spirits which appreciate difficulty. You need people that actually, the more complex the problem, their eyes start sparkling. It's an it's a mentality, it's an attitude. And by the way, when I do interview, it's how I interview. We're going to have a talk. I'm going to give you a problem. I apologize in advance. I'm going to destroy you <laughs> on everything you say. Because I can. Mm-hmm. What I want to see is how excited you get. I sparkle. Oh, the problem becomes interesting. Mm-hmm. When you have that, I'm hiring yesterday. And and I have to tell you that I found that mentality here. And I really like that. I like my team. Uh, I can push them. Uh, they respond. The more I push, the more they respond. And so there's an aspect of mentality for startup and where we are and, and, and the challenge that we have for me, which is really, uh, I'm totally enjoying. And I've had teams in multiple different countries. I'm definitely really enjoying building my team here. It's fascinating to hear the, not just an outsider perspective on it, but as, as a perspective, someone who has had that experience in several different countries, like from in the US and in Europe, leading different teams. It's great to hear the positive, but give us a, give us something constructive to work on. What's a part of Armenian, both work and engineering culture that you think can be tangibly improved uh, to attract more companies to the country? To attract more companies? Oh my goodness, publicity. Because at the end of the talent is there. It's not that it's a, I don't think pe- people know enough about Armenia. So yes, if you're part of the diaspora, if you're part of, you know, like uh, for Service Titan, uh, many people know more about Israel. But you know, the similarities between Israel and Armenia are fantastic. But essentially, Israel dominated the first bubble. Hmm. It was all about knowledge management and, you know, the early days of NLPs and everything. And all of the startup were coming from Israel. And then build a system about R&D in Israel, 
leadership in the US. Hundreds of startups were in the Bay Area in that model. And you knew, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to build an R&D TV, you go to Israel mm-hmm. easily. I didn't know about Armenia about last year. And when I discovered and I came here, so for me coming here was just an eye opener. Looking at the, com- the community, I know we complain there's not enough people doing publications, uh, you know, we're too small. I, I heard everything, you know, I heard all of the complaints. What I discovered is an amazing community which is thriving, which is fighting, which is a spirit of entrepreneur, which is trying. The problem that you have is more around education. Can you expand on that? Exactly, what exactly do you mean by, by education? The education, I think there's amazing effort which are being done now with, I saw, saw two more, I discovered two more this week. I'm just totally blown away. But really, uh, we need to be able to provide an environment where kids have the time to get the foundations. Mm-hmm. My understanding of in Armenia, you know, very often you go find a job first that can fund your 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 studies later, like mm-hmm. your master's or PhDs. Problem, especially with the, in the world of AI, and, uh, and and I think you want to master first your foundations in mathematics, in computer science, in data, in statistics. You really want to 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 have that education proper and have the time to do that, and and get a degree and go go to a level of a PhD if possible, masters and the very solid masters, and then after I would say go into the industry. I think it's a it's a it's a system that uh, on the long term uh, pay. And so, but that education I think is nascent, it's being built, and so so the only thing is really encouraging. So one of the aspects for us is how can we help, uh, uh, you know, the the the, the level of, of education. Uh, in Armenia, but it's all for me. It's all about education first. In, in Armenia, sometimes we have the issue of um, sometimes computer science students will get job offers uh, while they're students that are for the country standards are quite lucrative. Yes, um, and they will take that offer, and the job becomes their primary area of focus, even if they continue school for understandable reasons. But uh, I think we need to, we need to stress the importance of students to continue the focus on the education so that they have those fundamentals that you you mentioned but also we need to challenge the universities to make the case for why um for why what they're offering is uh is is is, is going to be important to them for their future i think sometimes that that's been that's been lacking uh, it here. is a problem and i know that you know there's companies that look into armenia not as a not, not investing in the committee, but just a pool of people that, uh, you know, and you can throw money at mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, today and tomorrow you remove that money. And yeah, that money is pretty significant. And I know that you can go, my guys can go to companies and be paid twice what they are being paid today and they're well paid today, but they can mm-hmm. be paid twice. So, so, so yes, it, it, is, it is definitively a challenge. Uh, but by the way, also for me, the way our, our employees is what we're, we're also showing them is the, 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 what they're getting by staying here instead of going for the fast money out there. Mm-hmm. But that's an easier problem because now they've been hired. But yeah, on education, that's the problem. It's really hard to do that. You have to find an incentive where you can demonstrate that, uh, you know, waiting a little bit or allowing that in some ways, even financially, I'm talking about just allowing uh, people to to get more of their foundations. The reward on long term is enormous. Yeah. And maybe also creating a, it's easier said than done, it's a really complex topic, but creating a structure where they don't feel the need to rush, right? They don't feel the need to get a job uh, as a second-year university student or a third-year university student. Or maybe program with industries. You right. know, industries could uh, sponsor uh, essentially students and uh, maybe with a contract of hiring them when they are done. So essentially, uh, uh, best of both worlds, uh, they can be supported during their studies mm-hmm. and they have a first job when they leave. 
there's multiple ways to do yeah. these things. So, so, so I think there are ways, and it's engaging with the industries and large companies yeah. uh, uh, on that type of uh, of a system. Right. And that's maybe a way that students will, instead of uh, just jumping to to that, you know, money to this XYZ company uh, for six months. Uh, I think also uh, if there were high paying internship opportunities in the summers that uh, like, for example, in, in, in North America, uh, computer science students, especially in the summers can easily make enough to support themselves throughout the academic year and then go back to another internship in the summer. That's another thing I think we're, we're still Definitely. lacking. Yes, yeah. yes, uh, absolutely. Our internship was uh, the system we had uh, but it's interesting because as soon as we start paying them, there was also a, an ROI. Can we hire them after? Right. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, you, it's you, double but, but you don't want that. You don't want. No, no. Yeah. I think there's a way, especially for companies which are investing in, in Armenia, first investing without mm -hmm. thinking about the ROI. Yeah. But then after it's okay to have an ROI. If you get, if you get more engaged, and for example, as I was saying before, is uh, yes, we're paying scholarship, we're paying for you know, masters, we're paying for PhDs, and what we're asking essentially, it's one year of service. Mm -hmm. The army does that in the US. You know, a lot of kids right. don't have access to, to education. Yeah. A lot of kids. They go into the army and the army can essentially pay you an education. But then after you, you know, you do a tour, uh, tour of duty. Mm -hmm. So that is a contract. It's totally, uh, I would say, totally fair. Right, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting ways to, to tackle, yes. tackle this problem. Um, before I get to my last question, I want to go back to, uh, <laughs> we've been speaking for almost an hour now. I want to go back to something we were speaking about earlier on in the conversation. You mentioned that Companies come to this realization of the value of data and how they can utilize that data to increase user retention or increase user usage time across their platforms and stuff. As someone who builds products and someone who has worked with data throughout their whole career, you've, you must have constantly um, also wrestled with the idea of uh, data ethics and how you mm -hmm. think about um, what, is, what is ethical to build, what is ethical to track and things of that nature. Yeah. Do you have a general framework for, for how you think about this? It's very interesting. I've always been on the other side. I'm fascinated by the human behavior. And uh, as I was saying, the human behavior is everything but objective. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, irrational, emotional, immature. We say one thing, we do the other. We're confused, um, and and that's what I, I love to really kind of uh, uh, model, not fight against, but model. So all of these aspects. Then that's uh, that's some of the aspect. But then you add to those the aspect of prejudice, the aspect of bias, and so for me, it's really hard to play AI to actually uh, turn that around. So for example, I will give an example. In the world of jobs, uh, when you look for a job, if you are a typical white collar, you know exactly what you want, what title you have, and your expectation. You can go on LinkedIn and you can search jobs and there's advanced search engine. The reason why for me Google was fascinating because it was the opposite. How can we level a field for the what we call the blue collars? Mm -hmm. A blue collar has no idea what the job is, the uh, title. They can tell you what they do every day, mm -hmm. but they would never have a title. I don't even have a title. So when you ask them to use a job search engine to find a job, it's a, it's a lose-lose. So the mission at Google was, how do you help those people finding a job? So for me, suddenly it was actually use AI to take people where they are in their incapability of searching, incapability of expressing what is a job, not knowing what they would want to do, not knowing what they could do based on their skill set and being able to have a system that start recommending or giving them search results that are really uh, uh, relevant for them and, and really good. 
Mm-hmm. So that's where suddenly I think about AI, this aspect, which is, uh, but on the other hand, yes, you, you, every aspect of being, um, you have to be careful about uh, biases. As I was telling you earlier, LLMs, one of the best things they do, they encode people's behavior. And humanity has a lot of things which are not necessarily good, and they contain these things extremely well. And so you see a lot of work around ethical AI. So the beauty of it is, where I feel I'm a bit saved is, in the enterprise world, you can control these things much easier because it's uh, there's less aspect of uh, gender bias, age bias, or you know all of these things. Um, but there's an element where you have to systematically have part of your arsenal testing for these things no matter what. So an arsenal around all the things you care about. Am I biasing because the person is a woman? You know, these things. Am I biasing because the person, you know, uh, is older? And essentially, you want to put that into your system that you, you check that, uh, you know, what I call that basic one-on-one uh, uh, unethical behaviors are being controlled. Mm-hmm. I think most people can can get get around uh, like a general checklist of things that you, you shouldn't build biases in. But in terms of uh, like more privacy-related concerns that, that come into it with, there's a lot of valuable data that can be learned from and even used to build better product features through tracking and things of that nature. Yeah. Is there, but, and a lot of that is things that I think we want, right? Um, we want there to be ad networks that are built on understandings of data so that a lot of the products we use are free. Um, but there are questions about how you, how you gather and use that data to build those models so that the, the ad network works well enough so that the product can be free. Oh, yes. Yeah. So a couple of things first. The first thing you want to do is always also uh, enable people to opt out of your data. You're, you need the data to do these signals. You're not, you're to give, not, the, uh, give the agency to the user. Yes. So, so the problem is really we, we, uh, we're not magician. I mean, those insights and those personalized recommendations we can do to you is because we know you. How do we know you? Because we have data on you. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not magic. So what you want is to allow people to opt out of the system. And so actually even as service talent, we allow our customers to opt out, mm-hmm. to give us the data. Now the cost is they won't get the recommendations. Right. And it, it's very surprising because you know what I found is at Service Titan, they really want to be helped. That actually for them giving the data is more important than being helped than in the more enterprisey world where we say, oh, don't use my data. Right, right. Uh, I was very surprised actually that they, they would give you everything because if you can help change their and, lives. And they see the value, right? Yes. But now the other thing is, what you're talking about actually goes towards also quality of the models. You know, in the sense that uh, if you build what I call, you know, global models, models that can uh, be applied to everybody, uh, you will make sure that there is not a leakage of data from mm-hmm. a specific customer. It's bad for your model because that model will be also too much sensitive to that customer mm-hmm. and so will not perform well as well. So when you think about developing global solutions, you actually goes into the directions of, uh, you know, uh, uh, more ethic base in the sense that you're not privileging somebody because you want to privilege everybody. Mm-hmm. So in a global model, customer A, customer Z, you want to perform as well as possible. So your, your notion is, I. I really want to be sure that I'm capturing the wisdom of the crowd right. and not the wisdom of one that I'm leaking to somebody else. Right. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Christian, uh, last question. Where do you hope to see uh, the Service Titan AI platform and the AI team in, in five years? The customer comes to us, give us the keys of the house, and we drive the business for them. Well said. I hope you'll come back on in the future to, to tell us about how that goes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you.